And I was given a coat of many colors today by the Christian Motorcycle Association here. They tell me it's anointed, so I'm going to preach in it today. I used to have a bike. I did a long time ago. It was a Schwinn. Well, healthy relationships. That's what we're talking about. And everybody wants to have them. If you're married, you want to be happy. You don't want hell on earth when you go home. If you've got kids, you want those kids to love you. You want to love those kids. You want to be honored. If you've got guys you play golf with and hunt with, you, you, you don't want them swiping your hunting spot. How many know you don't want them moving your ball? You want people that are, that are, that are part of almost like a family that's in our world. Well, here's the deal. Healthy relationships don't happen automatically. But they can happen if you'll live by biblical principles. And this is what I'm doing. I, I, I believe my number one role on the weekend is to teach you the Bible. Because if we have God's Word, it not only tells us how to think, how to act, how to behave in a way that not only pleases God, but in a way that works better. Praise the Lord. It tells you about everything. Well, last week we talked about marriage. We talked about a happy home, part one. Today will be part two. But we talked about marriage. And you remember there was one thing that Paul told or recorded in the Bible that the husband needed to do. And what was that? Yeah, love, your, love his wife as Christ loved the church. That's a big one. And, and, and what did the, what did the uh, scripture tell the woman, the wife to do? She was to yeah, honor and respect her husband. And we also talked about sex. I got more responses from that than anything I've ever preached. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but today, we're going to continue talking about a happy home, but I want to talk about children. I want to talk about how children treat their parents, and, or should treat them, and not just young children, older children as our parents age. And then we'll particularly, we'll spend most of the message talking about what the Bible says about raising kids. So I think it's going to be good for you. Uh, let's begin Ephesians chapter 6. Last week we read Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage, and now he flows right into children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the right thing for you to do. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, the fifth of the Ten Commandments. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And then he tells you what the promise is. If you'll honor your parents, it's going to go well with you, and you'll live long in the land. Now, how many can say, that's what I want? I want to live long, and I want to have a good life. Well, this is the key to it for God's blessing. Now, this word obey means literally to submit to authority. When it says children obey your parents, to submit to their authority, to yield to it, to carry out a command or instruction. A child's obedience is as submission to the parent as God's delegated authority. You know, the parent is the first authority that the child has, and that authority prepares them to meet God. Now, the word honor, an interesting word, honor means to show respect, to give recognition, but it has a little added twist. It includes action, action that shows the way you honor by assisting your parents, providing aid for them or financial assistance. What we see is when we're younger, typically obedience applies. But as we become adults, obedience may slip backwards, although some moms and dads are the boss till we die. How many understand what I'm talking about? But, but, but honor is lifelong. 
And this is something that I as an adult are taught to in the Bible about honoring. But honoring has an action to it. This idea of providing aid or financial assistance when your parents are not able to, to work. 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us this. Paul said, if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, especially members of his household, he's done what? Denied the Christian faith. And he's worse than an unbeliever. Now that scripture has long been forgotten in our culture. The government, in many respects, replaces God in our world, not just in, the con in how people behave, not just in our, in our morality, but now government through social services and social security, which I'm grateful for our government's able to help us. I'm grateful it uses tax dollars to help people in need. Everybody say amen. And that's pretty much how people think they'll be cared for. But the, but the root of this goes back to family caring for family. And I want to particularly encourage you of this today. The same parents who cared for you when you were little, hopefully you will be able to provide things. I mean, hopefully mom and dad have, will be taken care of through some government's assistance, uh, through, you know, what they've saved. But there may be occasion where your parent needs some help. Uh, don't let the stingy bug bite you. Uh, I, I, I was in my mom's house, spent the night a while back, and uh, she was doing her own pest control, and how many you know a can of raid will only go so far? So... I could, so I hired a bug guy to come once a quarter. You know, why'd I do that? I didn't have to. She didn't make me. She didn't beg me. And your parents were rarely asked. But when you see a need and you're able to do something about it, even if it involves a, a, a bit of sacrifice, it is a biblical thing to do. I watched, had living examples before me here. Pat Stewart, who's a longtime church member, employed here many years. She's in the hospital now, today, actually. Pray for Pat. She's got a touch of pneumonia. But I watched her care for her, her mom in her latter stages of life. Uh, I watched Dorothy Jones care for her mom. Uh, I watched Ray Witten get in the, uh, on pilgrimage virtually every weekend and go to the Malvern area and just to be with mom and take care of her. I want to tell you that is a godly, righteous thing to do for our parents. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now, let's shift to the uh, larger part of the message. Paul's instructions to parents. Uh, he's going to tell mom and dad basically two things for the kids. Now, Ephesians 6.4, he says, Fathers, and some translations say parents, clearly mom's involved in this, but fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. And I want you to circle that. Don't provoke them to anger by the way you treat them. But rather, bring them up. And this word bring them up in Greek, it has the idea of nourishing uh, 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 being life-giving to help your children mature and become the person God wants them to be. How many know children are not uh, our servants? Children are not hirelings. But on the flip side, children are not couch potatoes either. I mean, they're a part of the family. Children should have roles in the home of things that they do they're responsible for. Because I tell you this, if you don't teach it to them when they're young, they're going to be living with you at 30 or 40. And several said, great, what's the problem today? Kids need to learn responsibility at home. They need to learn how to take care of themselves. They need to learn how to manage money. They need to learn the value of money to help them function as adults. But the important thing he'll say is you bring them up in the discipline instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, I'm going to spend a great deal of time on that phrase, but right now I want to try to help us understand what does it mean not to provoke my child to anger by the way I treat them. And I don't want to share any of this in condemnation because probably all of us as parents, and myself included, 
have done something in raising a child, because I mean, when they gave you the baby in the hospital, they didn't give you a book. You know, you do the best you can, and sometimes you lose your temper and all that, but, but let me help you here. It's about the way we treat our children. This is, this is an admonition to, I would say, perhaps the, the child's emotional state. Don't do things because they're six that's going to make them angry, or 14 that's going to make them angry in life. Now, this is not talking about, uh, you know, if they disobey or they do something wrong or get a snooty attitude, you send them to their room. You know, it's not talking about them mad because they have to go to their room. It's talking about something that grows deeper. Because anger, when a person gets angry at another person, oftentimes it starts because of an offense. Something happens, somebody does something, we get upset, we get angry, and then there's a wall that's built. Well, how many know Satan is behind that? Offenses are called, John Bevere called them, the beta Satan. And anger, when you get offended, when you get angry, when you get hurt, it builds barriers between people that should be loving and both people are missing out. Now, this word anger, let me, let, let me tell you how the message uh, Bible translates it. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children or don't irritate them. Don't cause resentment by unreasonable demands. I posted a little video of my one-year-old grandson, and uh, he's trying to put his shoes on. He's got house shoes, and, and they have a back. You know, you don't just slip your foot in them. And uh, he's sitting down on the floor, and he tries to put one on, and it, it won't go on just right. And he drops it. He picks up the other one and tries, and it doesn't work. So he picks them both up, and Mom's standing there and says, and says uh, Henry, you want me to help you? And he gets a big smile on his face and runs to Mom. Now, what would you think if I told you the next day, his daddy, getting ready to go to work, says, Get out of that bed and put your diaper on and put your shoes on and come on, we got to go. What would you say? You would say call Child Protective Services. That is an unreasonable demand of a one-year-old. Well, we understand that clearly. Well, how many know we can make unreasonable demands on a four-year-old, a six, a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old? I, 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 don't, I don't know that I know enough about all this to go into it any deeper, but perhaps the Holy Spirit might spark something in your life. Um, don't have petty rules. Don't show favoritism by coming down too hard on your children. Now, this is not to say that you need to have a permissive attitude. I think permissive parenting is one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in today. In the, in the 60s, 70s, America, this idea was birthed that nobody has the right to tell me what to do. And cool parenting said, I'm going to let that child do whatever they want to do. And my word to you is you could well visit them in jail and they will likely be living with you at 30. And I'm not knocking a 30-year-old living at home. I like when my kids come stay with me a while. But what I'm saying is your goal is to produce a mature Christian. It's living for the Lord and is able to take care of themselves. This idea of provoking them to anger excessive or severe discipline, Ab abusing your authority, being unfair, condemning, making them feel bad, making them feel worthless. How I many know a parent should be the greatest cheerleader? You know, your child plays ball, and I don't know, let's say they're sitting on the bench in basketball, they do not need you to go up to them and say, when I was in your grade, when I was in the eighth grade, I was the starting, you know, I was the starting uh, forward, I was the power forward. They told me, well, what is wrong with you? Why can't you get off the bench? Why don't you just talk to the coach? That's not what they need. 
You can make them condemn them. You can humiliate them. Make fun of them. You know, I would imagine everybody, well, let me ask you this question. I'll just ask you, I want you to be totally honest. How many have something about your physical body that embarrasses you a little bit? Some of you wouldn't raise your hand if I said there's $300 bills at Gander Mountain if you'll go. <laughs> Virtually everybody, if not as an adult, I mean, I don't care. Somebody asked me why I don't get a, you know, a transplant or something. I said, well, I don't care. I am who I am. You know, if I had the money, I might do it. But um, there's some things when you get older you don't care about. But when you're a teenager, you care about everything. If that little girl of yours has a little crooked finger or one fingernail doesn't grow just right, she thinks everybody stares at her little fingernail. And the last thing that she needs is when she's in a group of her, or your, her friends is for you to make fun of her fingernail. You know, there's some things that we cover that we guard about, about our, our, our children. Uh, this anger style, pushing too hard, things that they cannot do. A, a child needs a coach to push them to do more. Come on. You can get off the couch and cut the grass, I promise you, baby. No, I'm not talking about that. You need to teach them responsible. You need to teach them hard work. But some things they just can't do. I have three children. Two of them were athletic. One of them was not so athletic. We gave, we gave her opportunity. We tried. But at some point, she was just better at something else. We didn't just keep pushing her and telling her, why can't you be like your brother and your sister? This pushes you to anger. Yelling, hitting, all wrong things. I think one of the things I did wrong with my first child is I was too, I pushed too much for him to be perfect. And it was never good enough. And I, I particularly in, 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 in spiritual things. And I was trying to make him like me. Well, I mean, our goal is not to make our kids like us. It's to help them become the person God created them to be. These are just examples. Uh, I remember, I was 19 and uh, I, I, I was with my dad. My dad loves me deeply. I've always known all my life he loved me. But he was a farmer and always behind and, and, and always this far away from going bankrupt, just trying to get ahead. And I was in the truck with my grandfather, and my grandmother had given me a flower to give to my mother. Well, I get out of the truck with granddaddy, run in the dad's truck, get into his truck and said, oh, I forgot something. I get out, and I go back and get the flower, and I put it in the truck, and my dad just went ballistic. He thought, what? Do you not know what's important? He got angry. He told me, when am I going to be responsible? And I hope he doesn't hear this. But, I mean, he just laid into me. And my personality, you know, uh, I didn't fight back. We could have had a fight right there. I withdrew. 19, a little tear came down, the, uh, very tenderhearted. A little tear came down. Of course, he apologized, but it was too late. I was going to punish him for the next two or three days. Passive aggressive, you know just how to do that, don't you? you? You know how to punish people. But I kept it inside, and about 25 years after that, we were fishing, and he made fun of me about something, and I just exploded and lit into him. I'd never done that before. Felt pretty good, but I'd never... I, I, but what was it? There was something about provoking your child to anger. And I guess the best advice I could give you as you think about your parenting style, put yourself in their shoes and what I want to be treated the way I'm treating them. And if it's not good or if it's not right, let me encourage you to do this. Let me encourage you to apologize to them. Yeah. 
Hey, before I go any further, I want to show a little video. I didn't show you the video, did I? No, I'm sorry. I do three services and I get confused sometimes. I asked Bethany, my daughter, to send me a video of what it was like being raised in a Christian home. And maybe it's a more appropriate time. Can you show that real quickly? Show that video for me. Hey everyone, it's Bethany from South Africa. Um, my husband Mason and I have been missionaries here with Impact Africa for eight months. Gosh, time has flown by, but I just want to say thank you so much for believing in us. Thank you for supporting us and for constantly lifting us up in your prayers. We feel it and we are humbled at the fact that you would choose us to be your hands and feet here in South Africa. Um, I heard that you guys are in the middle of a series learning about um, just what it is like to have a Christian home and to raise your kids in, in righteousness and in godliness. And I might be a little bit biased, but I think I have the best parents in the world. Pastor John and Linnell are my parents, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to share a few things that I feel that they did right with us. Um, my brother and sister and I are all still serving the Lord, and um, I'm not... I know that it's because of how my parents raised us. Um, yes, it is a personal choice, but my parents went out of their way to practice what they preached. You know, My dad was the same man that he is on the platform as he was at home. They, both of my parents were um, wanted to be proactive in teaching us um, about the Bible. They wanted to teach us about who God was and what God had for us and who we were in Christ. Um, Kids Zone is amazing, trust me. I worked there for four years. But kids' church isn't enough, you know? It has to come from your parents. It has to come from you guys. Um, what they learn in church should just be like reiterating what you're teaching them at home by the two people that love them the most. Um, my parents, my mom's favorite motto was always forewarned is forearmed. I knew the truth about sin. You know, I knew the truth about what was going on in the world and what I was gonna hear about in school, but my parents warned me. They told me what was the truth and what God actually said about it. So when I heard something at school from a friend, I already knew because my parents told me about it. You know, I think that my parents were always quick to say um, when they were wrong. Um, they never kept themselves on a pedestal. They were always very humble. And to me, when I have a family, I want it to be the same. You know, I want my kids to hear truth from me. I want to help build that foundation in them, just like my parents did in us. Um, it doesn't matter where you're at with your kids. Maybe you've never read the Bible together, but that's such an easy place to start. My parents always prayed with us, always read with us. They explained what the stories meant and how we could apply them to our lives. And it's, it can start with just something as simple as that. Um, anyways, I love you guys. I hope everything is going well, and I can't wait to see you soon. Bye. Well, good time to show it. I, I didn't have her, uh, I didn't give her a script, and I didn't ha have her say those things to brag on ourselves. I shared that because I want you to have hope that all Anel and I have done is tried to live by biblical principles when we raise our kids. And I promise you, it works. Yes. Let's, let's keep going. Now I want to talk about three big parenting priorities. You remember the first part of Paul's verse? Paul said, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Yes. Okay, we're going to, that's my first point. The second point has to do with teaching them about eternity and living with the end in mind. And the third one is about discipline. So this is all about parenting. Let's talk first about how to raise, how to influence your child's spiritual life. A great scripture, 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul the Apostle now writing to his son Timothy. He's going to succeed him when Paul dies. He's going to become the second generation Christian leader. 
So he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, genuine Christian faith, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. A grandmother and a mother unbeknowingly shaped the spiritual life of that child, and he became a world changer for the kingdom of God. My question is, I wonder how they did it. I'm going to suggest to you four things that we can emphasize in raising godly kids. And here's the first one. Uh, introduce them to Jesus and teach them how to walk with him daily. Now, here's the, here's the contrast. Don't just talk to your kids about God. Uh, they can believe in God, but God can be far away, distant, removed, rules, commandments. What you want to do is talk about relationship with God, your heavenly Father. Jesus said he wants to be closer than a brother. And you want to teach them about this personal sense. Jesus even said in Matthew 19, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In other words, Jesus wanted kids coming his way. Do you know most people that are converted to Christ are converted to Christ before they're 12? And the older you get, the harder it is to make the choice to become a Christian. Well, if you can teach your children about a loving God and teach them to talk to them and know him. Now, one thing, if I could give as a caveat or just kind of a, a word of caution, every parent wants their child to say the sinner's prayer or commit their life to Jesus at five years old. But don't push your child. Let it be their choice. Don't let your child be baptized just because some other kid's getting baptized. Let these decisions of their personal commitment to the Lord be theirs and not yours. Otherwise, you know, they come to the altar at 6, they're baptized at 7, but they were never truly converted. You know, there's an element of turning to God. Well, if they hadn't figured out what self-will is and, and really the difference between right and wrong, they may just have a knowledge of God, and then they go out and live like heathens, and they think because they, you know, prayed to be a Christian and read the Bible when they were young, it doesn't matter what they do now. So just as a word of caution, let your child's steps come from them rather than you just pushing it into it. Now here's the second thing we'll get practical. Teach your children how to talk to God. We call it praying, but I, I, I want to use the word talking to God. This is where the personal sense comes in. Now, our little grandson is a little over one. We went to see him last time, and uh, uh, Linnell and I started teaching him to pray over his food, and we took his little hands and ours. Mind you now, he's ready to eat. He's in that chair. He knows it's coming. We took his little hands, and we didn't take time to pray for the missionaries. Are you with me today? All we did was say, thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. Well, as we keep doing that, his parents keep doing that, Somewhere, 18 months, I don't know, two years, he's going to say, amen. And then you'll have him do some praying. Jesus, thank you for my food. And you might add things like, thank you for mommy and daddy. Amen. You're teaching him to talk to God. When they become a little older and it's time for nightly devotions, you read your Bible with your child. And then perhaps you get on your knee or they just snuggle. Some of my favorite memories. And you talk to God together. But it doesn't stop there. When they get in school and they're trying out to, I don't know what, they're trying out to be a cheerleader, you know, and they're really nervous and scared, you say, 
have you talked to God about it? They didn't make the cheerleading squad. Did you talk to God about it? You know, what you're encouraging is this relationship with God. Here's the third one. You want to teach your children to read the Bible. You want to help them memorize it. You want to help them obey it. The scripture says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my pathway. It's missing in culture today. If you and I don't do it as parents, uh, uh, if you don't get them in kid zone, uh, it's not going to happen because there's nowhere else in our culture that's teaching the Bible. Nowhere. Walt Disney used to years ago. A little house on the prairie used to years ago. But modern family does not teach the Bible. Modern shows do not. Uh, here's how we taught our kids how to read. Uh, when they're old, first of all, we bought them a little, you know, uh, my first Bible. It's a picture Bible with stories. Don't get your child a King James Bible, please. Get them a little story Bible, and you read them the Bible stories. But then when they get old enough to read, and they're learning those first kind of phonics, you know, we have phonics uh, teaching kids to read. Uh, well, that's how we taught our kid to read. And I want to say it was one of the most arduous things I've ever done in my life. I'm ready to get it done over and back to something else. And you're saying... Okay, daddy's going to read the first two words and you read the third, okay? And then, G, say it with me now. G, G, okay. What, G, G, Jesus. Yes, good. And then Jesus talk, talk, talked. <sighs> but before you know it, they read a whole line by themselves and you read a line. And then before you know it, they're reading a page and you're reading a page. And then before you know it, they read the Bible to you. And then the next step is you go out of the room and say, Daddy will be back in a minute. You tell me what you read. What are you doing? You're teaching them how to have a devotion time with God. Because if you teach your kids to read the Bible, if they develop a Bible, a God's way of thinking, they'll develop a work ethic, they'll understand sexual morality. Come on now. They'll understand sin, they'll understand temptation, they'll understand forgiveness, they'll understand giving, all because they have allowed God's word to feed them. If you were to ask me today what is the number one problem in the world, but even the church, is that we are biblically illiterate. We, we, we don't, number one, we don't know the Bible, but number two, we don't spend time with God in reading his holy word. I'm not perfect, but please don't say amen. But I, I have been a Christian about 40 years and I think the thing, I have never backslidden and I've never fallen away. I've struggled, but I've never fallen away. And the reason I hadn't is because virtually every day of my life is I have a daily time with God. I read my Bible and I pray. Let me give you one more thing about your kids. Teach them the value of Christian fellowship and church involvement. And as adults, I need to embrace this. But I'm, I, 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 Hebrews 10 says, don't stay away from church meetings. As some are doing, but meet together and encourage each other. Well, what we offer your teenagers is powerhouse, but you got to get them here on Wednesday. And then they have small groups on Sunday night. you got to get them there. For the young children, we have kids on upstairs, but you got to get them there. But I promise you, they will learn. Not only will they learn something, they will develop a Christian peer group. And the way we have it structured, we have a, a, an assistant up there. In powerhouse, we have college kids that are down there. So those kids see somebody that's older and, and cool that's still serving Jesus. 
Your children need a Christian peer group, and you need to do everything in your power to develop it, the relationships you form with other, other Christians, because they need to know that normal, cool people do the Jesus thing. Because in the world, people are going to make fun of them. Listen, when they're going to come home. Someone told me not too long ago, I don't even repeat that. But their child picked up something, and when, when they asked about it at a restaurant, they were shocked. They could not believe. We're, they just couldn't believe it. Ch the world wants your children. This will help keep them away. Let me close with a promise. Proverbs 22. If you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart. Now, I'm so proud of Bethany, and I'm so proud of Rebecca, and I'm so proud of John. You know, we are not perfect parents. Linnell is a great mom to those kids. But they have not only made it through where they're making a life for themselves, but they're living the Christian life. And I give God the glory. Train up a child the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart. My mother had me in Sunday school when I was a child. It was a small country Methodist church, had five pews on each side. They finally built a Sunday school in the back, and there was two rooms, and one of them was for elementary age, and it was two families. And for six years, Ju Julia Guy was my Sunday school teacher, and she taught me John 3.16. I memorized it. I was a good, sweet little kid, but when I became a teenager, I became a little hellion. Just did. I let the wrong friend influence me. Before you know it, I'm drinking. Let the other wrong friend influence me before I know it, I'm smoking. Are you? Not proud of it, but I'm just telling you. You'll become like your peers. But when I was 19 and had gone through three years, I realized that what the world offers is not going to make you happy. And I became aware of my need for God. And I began to reach out to God. Guess, guess what came to my mind? Julia Guy in John 3.16. You are making an investment in your children's lives by keeping them in the spiritual environment of God's house. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. Let me give you my second point. I had three points about parenting. Remember the first one is they're shaping their spiritual life. Now the second one, and this is very important, teach your children to live with eternity or the end in mind. Let me illustrate this. Uh, I, I've got three kids, uh, and I've encouraged my kids from when they were little that they needed a career and not a job. And to get a career, you've got to be trained. You've got to have some schooling of some type, whether it's technical school or whether it's college, and uh, you've got to find your way. But for our kids, it seemed like they were going to go to college, and uh, when they started getting older, I realized what it was going to cost, and I said, Daddy doesn't have the money. So, and we don't qualify for a lot of the free programs that are out there, but there's a lot of money if you'll make a good grade on your ACT test. So we're standing here in the 10th and 11th grade knowing the ACT is right there. And on the other side of the ACT is a college education. On the other side of that is a successful life. If you remember John Maxwell saying, it said, pay now, play later. But if you play now, you're going to pay later. Because one day you've got to pay. And I instill that in my kids. Is you've got, if you'll pay the price right now in your developmental years... When you get older, you won't have to work multiple jobs and you'll be able to do the things you want to do. And my son, even though I feel bad, I think I pushed him too much. But somehow, he started pushing himself. And he not only got an accounting degree, he got an MBA, and then he got a CPA license. And now he's rolling. Now he plays as much as he wants. And I tell Rebecca, who's just started college, 
I say, honey, if you want to play like brother, what do you got to do? Pay, dad. Okay, dad's proud of you for paying. And she gets 105 on the chemistry test. Okay, we understand this dynamic, but one day your kid's going to stand before Almighty God. And Almighty God is going to want to know, what did you do with your life? On one side is hell and on one side is heaven. And, and, and those over here is a, is a potential for rewards. And I want to suggest to you we're more concerned about our kids having fun than we are about preparing them for eternity. Let me read a scripture written by the wisest man in the world other than Jesus. His name is Solomon. Ecclesiastes 12. The book of Ecclesiastes is about one man's journey to try to find happiness. And he tried everything the world had to offer and here's what he said. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the, the whole duty of man, generically, mankind, humanity. And listen to verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Your kids need to know that. If you would ask me one thing that's failed in our public education system is we have not taught children the consequence of Judgment Day. Our culture has no concept or awareness, so we kill and it doesn't matter. We perform abortions even now across the country. Infanticide bills are considered and passed by governors that a child that escapes and makes it through the abortion can be killed by the abortionist. We have lost all respect of life, not knowing that one day we'll stand before God and give an account. Because the Bible says, thou shalt not murder. When secular America took the commandments out of the schools, we also took the notion of accountability out of their hands. Help your child. Now, you're preparing them for this judgment, but in a more positive note, help your child explore and understand how God created them to be and encourage them to do his will for their life. If you just talk about doing the will of God, all you think about is command and commandments. But it seems to me like Tim Tebow is doing the will of God when he wore John 3.16, come on, under this, and he's preached to more people than I'll ever preach to in my life because he found his niche, his God-created niche in life, and it's a platform for his ministry. Listen to Psalm 139, verse 16. The Scripture says, God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass, which means... God created your child with a purpose. And he created a script for their life. And they will find the greatest happiness they'll ever have in their life if you can do everything you can to help nudge them on that path. Part of it is figuring out who they are, exposing them to opportunities, and encouraging them when they're doing the will of God. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening now. Let me give you just a little bit more. The third point is to discipline them. You must teach your child about boundaries, consequences, and authority. Now, I want you to just listen to the Bible just a minute from the book of Proverbs. It says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children, but those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Could that be possible? No parent would say they hate their kids. But when you withhold discipline, when your parenting style is permissive, let them be their own person, they're a free spirit, they're their own person, you don't tell them when it's time to stop. And if you don't, the police will. 
Proverbs 19, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. Let's say you have a lazy child. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to clean, I don't want to cut the grass. And somebody says, it's okay, baby, if you don't want to, mommy loves you. They're going to get to be out on their own one day, and they're going to be coming to your house asking for you to take care of them because you didn't teach them a work ethic. Now, I know I'm getting you mad right now, but get over it. you got to offend me. We're in church. We just had communion. Proverbs 23, physical discipline may well save them from death. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, go ahead and drink and drive long enough. Go ahead and see how many joints you can smoke and still drive your vehicle. There's two men on the front page of our paper today that were racing, and there was an accident, and some other person was killed in, because they were racing. Proverbs 29, discipline your children, and they'll give you peace of mind and make your heart glad. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Discipline, you know what it is. It's correction or punishment, and it is intended to correct a crime or an error, something that's wrong. Now, hear me on this. The purpose of discipline is to help children respect authority, God the ultimate one, to help children do what's right and learn there's consequences for doing wrong. In our culture today, there's no such thing as right and wrong, right? No absolutes. Everybody gets to determine right and wrong. Unfortunately, that's a crock. Uh, there is right and wrong, and sin has consequences. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. American society has lost restraint. Don't lose it with your children. Let's talk about authority. One day they're going to stand before God. You as a parent are the first line of authority in that person's life to tell them right from wrong. And you know it because of the Bible, not just your preference. If, they, if your authority fails, hopefully spiritual authority in the church, the Bible says in Hebrews, uh, to obey your leaders and submit to their authority because they watch over your soul. Hopefully that teenager has a relationship with Pastor Cole and he can help them. But if he says, the heck with you, I know more, guess what next authority is out there waiting it's a policeman. It's the court system. And if that doesn't get their attention, guess who the next one is? God Almighty on Judgment Day. Discipline of children may take many forms. Timeouts work well. Withholding something they enjoy. For some children, if you tell them they can't watch TV because of what, you know, whatever they were supposed to put up the dishes, oh no, if I don't watch TV, I'm going to die you know exactly what works. Different things work. Sometimes timeouts work. Sometimes withholding, uh, withholding something they enjoy. Grounding. Uh, one of my children, if, it, if, if the choice was between uh, grounding or, no, it was TV. TV or a spanking, they take a spanking every time because TV was what they wanted. You've got to find what works. But, but if you choose to spank a young, defiant child, and there's great disagreement in our culture over this today, but you know, I found there's two streams of thought among pediatrician groups. One group of pediatricians uh, uh, think spanking is horrible and terrible and bad, and they have their own uh, statistics to prove it. The other pediatrician group, the American College of Pediatricians, thinks differently. One of its past presidents, Dr. Den Trumbull, 
listen now, offers advice for parents who choose to spank a defiant child when time out and reasoning don't work. If you, if you spank, you don't spank when that kid can't put their shoes on. Defiance. My little one-year-old angel came in my home. And we're eating at my home. And there's food on his plate. And his daddy looked at him and said, don't drop it. Now, one is too old to spank, but one's probably not too old. <laughs> Something. Not starve them, but some little attention getter. Here's what this man says. When time out and reasoning don't work, and a parent should never spank in anger, it should always be in private with one or two swats to the bottom. And let me say this. We never used our hand to spank because a hand is for loving. I think there needs to be a little spanking spoon or Mr. Paddle or something. Not to bruise. That's not a spanking. That's, that's, that's physical. That's abuse. But there can be a little red spot to get your attention. Just, just there. That'll do the trick. One or two squats on the bottom, followed by a loving embrace. And then talk about what they did wrong. My children, and we didn't spank that much, but my children, when they were spanked, and we would hug them. They would cry. And it was almost like they were glad that somebody told them no. And I said, I love you. And they said, we, I love you. And we both cried. No parent wants to do that. But you have a responsibility to discipline. And, and it's too old when they're a teenager to spank too. Take that. Do what you will. The greatest gift, let me wrap up, the greatest gift a parent can give their children is for mom and dad to serve the Lord and stay together. Now I know a lot of us have gone through the pain of divorce, it's complicated, but if you're married to somebody right now and you're raising children, listen to me, the greatest gift you can give those children is not a new car, but it's for you two to serve the Lord and to stay together and work out your problems. Malachi 2 said, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you're his. And listen to this. What does God want from your marriage? And what's it say? Godly children. Godly children from your union. So guard your heart, man. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Don't start fooling around with others. I hate divorce, the Lord says. Now listen to me. He doesn't say he hates divorced people. There's no condemnation in that. But I think is what it is, is he hates the pain and heartache that comes from it. It is the pain that keeps on giving. And the greatest gift, listen, if you've gone through it, all you can do is ask God forgiveness and ask people for forgiveness. But if you're raising your children today, it is a great gift you can give them about stability. I'm going to close with this. Next week we'll keep up the uh, uh, Healthy Relationship Series. And I sure hope today that you're going to go to Gander Mountain right after church. I'm not even going to stay at the door the full time. I'm going to go too. But just come look at it, walk around it. You say, well, I've been there, Pastor, when they sold fishing lures. Yeah, but you hadn't been there to see how big that building is without fishing lures. I, I want you to come and dream with us just a little bit. We got a snack over there. Be your appetizer. Uh, let me close with this. Parents and kids are impacted by the words that we say. Now, I want you to all, let's all say this together. It's from the Message Bible, Proverbs 18. Words kill 
and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I want to suggest to you the most important thing that you can say to your parents and that a parent can say to their child is I love you and I'm proud of you. To say I love you gives them security. To say I'm proud of you gives them confidence. And I don't care what they've done, you can find something to be proud of. You say, Pastor, what do I do if my son is 10 years old and he's in competitive ball and he struck out three times today and if he doesn't get on the traveling team, he's not going to be able to get on the team that goes to the travel and goes to college and get a scholarship, so what do I do? How do I motivate him? How do... I'll tell you what you do if he just struck out three times. First of all, you can't tell him anything when he gets in the car because he's already mad, okay? So he doesn't need your advice at all until a while, until you have stopped by Sonic and got him a, you know, whatever, a Frosty and you've got him some tater tots. But at some point, that little boy, that little girl needs to hear these words from you. I know today was not your best game, and I know you're angry at yourself, but I want to say to you that I am proud of you. Because you didn't quit. Because you didn't go in that dugout and throw your helmet and throw your bat. Because you didn't walk off that field and said, I'm never playing again. You got up and you faced it again. And I want to tell you, son, you're learning how to live life, and I have confidence the next time you play that pitcher, you're going to go three for three. Now listen, I love you, and Dad's proud of you. Don't ever forget it. And I'll tell you something, kids, for your parents. Uh, I, uh, this is kind of comical. Uh, my son, uh, very proud of him. He's, he's a CPA. Of course, he's, a, he, uh, he's uh, an expert in the Excel spreadsheet. And uh, I, I, I do fair with it. I've got a business background. And, and uh, anyway, uh, I, I made a spreadsheet the other day, and it was somewhat complicated, but I thought I did a really good job, and I sent it to him to let him, you know, smooth it out, better presentation, make sure my formulas are right and all that before we make any decisions off of it. And you'll never guess what I was looking for him to say to me. Now he didn't. I hope he's listening today. But, but, but he didn't. But... I, found, I, I had the feeling. So what am I trying to tell you? I don't care how old you are. You're just a big kid. And you need to hear, I love you and I'm proud of you. And if you will do it, you'll have a happy home. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer before we go to Gander. You know, we always pray in church. We, we had communion today, and we hadn't done it yet. But if there's something in your life that, that's you're bothering you, if you've got something big coming up this week, we'd be delighted to pray for you. I mean, I'm telling you, there's something about the powerful of the spiritual prayer, and we'll pray for you right around this altar, very confidential. But there's another prayer I'd like to pray. And maybe you're here today, and you say, Pastor, my greatest need is, is to have a real relationship with God. Maybe you're like I was. I, I was raised in a Methodist church, very grateful for it. I learned the Bible, but that's not what made me a Christian. And literally, I thought growing up that if you're just good, you go to heaven, and certainly I'm better than anybody else. But that's not the way it works. I mean, no, it only takes one sin to make a sinner and one sin to keep you out of heaven. What you need is forgiveness, and where it comes from is a Savior. What I learned when I was a kid became real to me when I was 19. At 19, I had about three years when I had been very worldly 
And I tried to find happiness apart from God, and I just couldn't find it. I couldn't find it on the ball field. I couldn't find it in relationships. I, I couldn't find it in alcohol. And one day, this guy was talking to me just like I'm talking to you. He was a Gideon. And uh, he told me that Jesus had a plan for my life. And that if I would be willing to do two things, number one, to acknowledge that I'd sinned and ask for his forgiveness. But the second thing he said was the big thing. Because I'd asked God to forgive me all my life. I knew right from wrong. But, but if I could use it this way, if that cross illustrates the Lord and his purpose, here's the way most of us live our life. He said, you've got to stop going your way, and you have to turn your heart to go God's way. And when I was 19 years of age, I made, and it was a decision. God was calling me to surrender to Christ. But at that point, I became willing. August 15th, 1976. You say, how do you know? I was there. Changed my life. And I tell you, friend, the same God that saved me and gave me a new life can give you one. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray and make a commitment. We can pray with you, but only you can commit your life to follow Christ. But if you're willing to, if you, if you need God in your life, you're willing to make the turn to Jesus, we'd like to pray for you. There's going to be someone standing in front of this cross afterwards. And the reason I ask you to make the step to the cross is simply because you, you need to make steps back this way. And it's something powerful about walking away from the old, walking to the new. If you need Jesus in your life, you want someone to pray with you about his forgiveness and purpose, we'd be delighted to pray. So, why don't you go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach, our last song. Our prayer team is coming to the front. They're here for everybody. But most importantly, if you need to make a commitment of your life to Christ, don't wait. Do it now. We'll see you at the cross. Thanks for coming. I'll see you out at Gander.